Well, good morning, church family. It is very good to see you this morning, and uh, glad to have you here. Um, it's been a, uh, it's kind of been a, a bittersweet week here at uh, Central Park and and in our community. Um, received the the joyous news this week that uh, Miss Jamie Bumbarger gave birth to uh, her new daughter, and so we were very excited about that as we received that news only to receive around the same time that uh, her other daughter, Olivia, and Jamie have both tested positive for COVID. Uh, so, uh, so you get good news and bad news. And obviously, uh, we've been very, very uh, saddened and grieved today. Uh, the passing of Mr. Jerry Patterson, uh, we will uh, be having his memorial service here on Tuesday morning. Uh, but certainly our hearts are heavy this morning at uh, the passing of our brother, uh, a great man of God, a man who had a profound impact not only on people here at Central Park, but also people throughout Morgan County for many, many, many years. So let's uh, continue to pray for Miss Jody and her family right now during this time of grief. And um, uh, it's this morning, by the sovereignty of God, um, as I began to think several weeks ago about a Christmas message, um, I was looking at some, some notes on some sermons I've done in the past and seen a sermon that I had done years ago called Hope for the Holidays. And I started to reflect on that sermon and that passage again and thinking about how appropriate that would probably be in this particular context in which we find ourselves. Not knowing that as we were moving towards this Sunday, we would be experiencing the loss of, of two dear church members in our own faith family in the last couple of weeks. So I think it's by the providential grace of God that we're going to be looking this morning at a passage in John chapter 16. And so if you want to turn there, you can. As you're turning there, I want to say a happy birthday today to two members of our staff. We have a very unique occurrence that we have two staff members who are sharing the same birthday today, Mr. Michael Gentry and also Ken Bush. So happy birthday to both of those guys. Um, so this morning we are in week three of our 2020 Christmas series, Good News of Great Joy. And as we have said throughout this series, Christmas is a yearly reminder of God's grace for us as followers of Jesus Christ that our God has sent the good news of salvation into a broken and battered world. And as we've said, there's probably no more appropriate time for us to lean into the message of good news of great joy than the year 2020, a year that seems to be continually filled with unwelcomed and negative news. But over 2,000 years ago, an angel appeared to shepherds and said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word that the angel used in, in Luke chapter 2 for good news is the Greek word euangelion. It is, it is a Greek word that we use for the gospel. In essence, the angel was proclaiming the gospel to the shepherds. And that word, good news, was used in the Greek culture for a herald. It was used for someone who oftentimes would come back to the city 
to announce the news of the victory of battle and they would herald or they would euangelion the good news of victory. It's, it's, it, it, in our context, it's kind of what I would call breaking news. But have you noticed that whenever you're watching the news and, or you're watching television and they come in with breaking news, it's seldom good news? Have you ever noticed that? seems like every time it's breaking news, it's always bad news. But this is breaking news. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our broken, sinful, bruised, and battered world. It's the inbreaking of His kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ. This morning, I want you to reflect on a question. And the question is, what is the best Christmas present you have ever received? Think about that for a second. What's the best Christmas present you have ever received? may take you a little while to think because many of you have been around for a lot of Christmases like me and you can think back on your childhood. You can think back about maybe the first bike that you received as a, as a young boy or maybe you think about, in my world, uh, that first video game system. My son Josh was asking me the other day about what was the best Christmas present you ever got and, and I was thinking it was probably for me the first Atari video game system when it came out because it was such a big deal. Uh, to be able to get an Atari. And I think I was about a year late to the party, but, but it didn't matter to me because when I hooked that thing up to my television and flipped that switch and saw those six-bit graphics up on my television, it, w- it was like I had been redeemed all of a sudden. Maybe, maybe your spouse or a family member gave you a dream vacation one year for Christmas or, or maybe you got the gift one year of an announcement of a soon-coming family member. That was good news for you. I would submit to you this morning that as great as all of those gifts may be, they are not the best Christmas present that you have ever received. The best Christmas present you've ever been given is hope. And I can think of no better present to be reminded of in the year 2020 than the present of hope because Christmas is the good news and the announcement to the world that the hope of God has come. And as, as we've already said, hope is not a feeling. We often think that way in our, in our context. We think about hope as, a, as an emotion. We think about it as a feeling. We think about it as something internal and subjective. But hope is not a feeling. Hope is a person. And His name is Jesus. I want you... In your, in, on the screen, I think we have Galatians chapter 4. I want you to listen to the words of, of these, of the Apostle Paul has written. And I want you to listen to the hope that is embedded in these words. Because this is not usually a passage that we think about being a Christmas passage, but it is exactly what it is. In Galatians chapter 4, it said, When the fullness of time had come. Some translation says, At just the right time time. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, in the midst of all of the brokenness and the chaos and the years of sin and struggle, in the midst of all of that, God sent 
His Son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Can you hear the hope in that passage? I put in your notes here that that Christmas is a yearly gift from a loving Father. We think about getting gifts from our parents. Well, we've been given the greatest gift of all from a loving Heavenly Father. And it is a gift that reminds us that He has sent His Son into our world to heal our brokenness and to give us hope for the future. The best gift you've ever been given is the gift of hope. And you've been given it from a loving Father, a sovereign God who knows exactly what's going on in your world right now. One of the most familiar and most popular Christmas songs on the radio is Andy Williams' song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, right? Seems like we hear that over and over and over again. And Christmas really should feel that way. As followers of Jesus, when we, when we come to these days, when we come to this season of Advent, when we come to, to reflect upon the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be the most wonderful time of the year. But Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because there'll be parties for hosting and marshmallows for roasting and scary ghost stories of Christmases long, long ago. I've never quite understood that line in that song, right? What in the world is that? I know that's a reference probably to the Christmas carol. But scary ghost stories at Christmas? Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because it's a yearly reminder that the sovereign God of the universe has personally intervened into your life and to my life to bring us hope. But let's be honest. Christmas doesn't always feel like the most wonderful time of the year. For some people this year, Christmas will be a time that is not going to be marked by joy to the world. It's going to be a time that's going to be marked by pain and by a sense of loss, especially in our nation this year. For some this year, the holidays will be more about sorrow than it will be about celebration. And perhaps you or someone you know will have a Christmas this year that is filled with grief. Grief over someone dear to us that we have lost. Maybe a longtime spouse, maybe a mother or father, maybe a, maybe a child that was taken from you too soon. Whatever the case, grief is a very powerful emotion that seems to be magnified during the Christmas holidays when we spend so much time a, reflecting and meditating on family and friends. Or maybe Christmas will be one of disillusionment. It may be the disillusionment of a failed marriage, or it may be a trust in someone that was violated. It may be like many of us that you're just disillusioned with with a broken system in our world that continues to let us down. Maybe someone you know will be disillusioned this year because... They lost a job due to the COVID virus, and they wonder what the next chapter of their life will be. For others, Christmas can be a time of depression because life continues to throw curveballs that they're not expecting. For some people, Christmas is a yearly reminder of what should have been. And maybe for you, getting together with family drains you more than enlivens you and causes you despair and discouragement. 
Maybe you've lived with frustration and disappointment so long that you've come to believe that some things will never change. But the reality is, is that while we like to believe that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, it isn't always. Sooner or later, all of us will experience pain, grief, and disillusionment at Christmas. For Allison and I, it happened in 1998. We had been married just a little over a year. We were experiencing the, uh, or expecting the birth of our first child when we suddenly experienced a miscarriage just a few weeks before Christmas. And that Christmas, which was supposed to be a time of anticipation and hope and rejoicing in a future family, had been temporarily crushed. She and I didn't want to sing Joy to the World that year. So what do we do when our holiday is one that is filled with pain? And where do we go to get perspective and hope? Can we really believe in such thing as hope for the holidays? And in times of grief and pain, more than ever, I've discovered that what we need is not the perspective of this world. What we need is the perspective of God's Word. We need that gracious reminder that God has invaded our world of brokenness and has spoken powerfully to us. We also need to remember that our Lord Jesus was a man who was well acquainted with grief and pain. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 that he was to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in verse 4 of Isaiah 53, Isaiah says he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And so while Christmas has a lot of sentimentality, we need to remember that what begins in a manger in Bethlehem will eventually result in a cross on a hill called Calvary. And we need to remember that the reason why Christmas is worth celebrating is because from the moment Jesus entered our world, the cross was His eventual earthly destination. You see, without the cross of Jesus Christ, what happens in the manger means nothing. And what makes Christmas a season of hope is not the beauty of the birth of Christ, but the glory of the future death of Christ. So I want to share with you very quickly today a message about Christmas that isn't from a text that we normally associate with Christmas. It's found in John chapter 16. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is spending His last nights with His disciples before His death. In just a few short moments, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried and falsely accused. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be called a blasphemer. He's going to be taken in a a mock kangaroo court before Pilate where he will be sentenced to die and will be forced to carry his cross to a hill called Calvary. And knowing these things are coming... Jesus spends His final moments with His disciples preparing them for what's ahead. Preparing them for the grief and the pain and the disillusionment that they are about to experience. He knows that what they are about to endure is going to be a painfully shocking moment that they are not ready for. And He knows that they are about to endure some of the deepest pain and sorrow that they have ever experienced. And so... He speaks comforting words into their life in John chapter 16. I want us to read them. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16 says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. 
Now think about that for a second. Think about those words. Jesus has, has entered into Jerusalem just a few days before to the fanfare of a huge throng of people who were proclaiming that he was the son of David, that he was the promised Messiah. And yet all throughout that week there's been tension as Jesus has been at odds with the religious leaders. There have been rumblings in the temple that, that people are not happy with Jesus. And Jesus has this Passover feast with his disciples and shares with them about the coming kingdom. And then Jesus says to them, in a little while you will see me no longer. Think about what their hearts felt like. Think about the confusion they must have experienced. And then he says, and again, a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. What is he talking about? Verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying, A little while you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Those are deeply painful words. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will be able to take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer will speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then look at verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What an incredible moment in the life of Christ and his disciples. Now what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, I would submit to you it has everything to do with Christmas, especially for some of us who are experiencing pain and disillusionment and grief and frustration and anger and fear. You know, they tell us right now that, that depression in our country is higher than it's ever been because people have been sequestered and forced to live in isolation from others. Let's be real honest, it's real discouraging to come to church and sit 
eight feet from one another with mask over your face, right? It's discouraging. How do we even think about hope and Christmas right now? Well, if anything, this passage tells us that the Lord Jesus knows exactly what's going on even in the darkest moments of our lives. And I want to share with you what I would say three gospel reminders that we need this Christmas. Three needed reminders that we need this Christmas probably more than ever. Whether you're frustrated with coronavirus chaos, whether you're grieving this morning the loss of two brothers in Christ in our church, whether you're experiencing your own grief this year in your family, I want to give you three things that the Lord Jesus demonstrates for us in this passage that I think give us hope for the holidays. Number one, Jesus declares for us that there is a limit to your pain. Whatever your pain is, there is a limit to your pain. Again, I want you to, to look at, you got your Bible in John chapter 16, at verse 16 and then verses 19 through 20. In verse 16, Jesus says, A little while you will see me no longer. That was a very painful statement for him to make to his disciples. And then again, a little while you will see me. And then in verse 19, it says, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him something, so he said, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying? A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, now listen to this, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. One of the passages I share a lot in funeral messages is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is describing this, this tension that we live in in this world where where we live in a fallen, broken world filled with great grief and pain and problems. And, and Paul says, in light of all of those things, he says that the pain of this world that we experience, he calls light and momentary affliction. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I mean, the Apostle Paul, the guy who, the guy who was shipwrecked, the guy who was beaten with rods, the guy who was stoned, with, with, pelted with stones until he was almost dead. He said, you know what? All of it is light and momentary affliction. But honestly, when you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the midst of grief, when you're in the midst of a season of loss, it seems like anything but light and momentary. In that particular moment, it feels deep. It feels like it's going to last forever. But we hold on to the truth of God's Word that while the sovereign God we know and love often ordains and allows pain into our lives, the good news of the gospel is He does not allow that pain to have the final word. The powerful reminder that Jesus gives them here is this phrase, a little while. A little while and you will see me no longer. A little while and you will see me. Jesus tells his disciples that while the pain they are about to experience is going to be real, he has placed a limit on it. He reminds them that he has placed a limit on the length of pain in our lives. Likewise, the apostle Peter, whom we looked at earlier this year, reminded believers 
that while we have a very real and powerful enemy that seeks to devour and destroy us, he also says we are to resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering that we experience are being experienced by our brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The psalmist says in Psalm 35, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus informs His disciples about the reality of the impending suffering that they're about to do. And it's a reminder to us that the Bible is very honest with us as Christians that our faith in Christ does not make us impervious or immune to pain, to loss, and to grief. We live in a broken world that is still awaiting its full and complete redemption and restoration from our Lord. And the idea that faith in Jesus Christ is some sort of spiritual insurance policy against grief or suffering or tragedy, that idea is a horrendous lie that hurts people. It shows a complete abandonment of the God's Word and a complete abandonment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has never promised us that we would experience a pain-free life as Christians. He made it very clear for His followers here that we will experience deep sorrow and brokenness in this broken world. But He reminds us that while our circumstances may soon be very painful, our circumstances are also going to be temporary. You and I need continual reminders of the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of His grace when we travel through seasons of difficult circumstances. We need to be reminded that when we, are, when we are tempted to lose spiritual perspective, when we feel like we are losing control of our lives, our God has never lost control. I put this in your notes. The truth of the sovereignty of God does not lessen the reality of your pain, but it does lessen the power of it. The truth of God's sovereignty that we see here, where Jesus says, in a little while you're going to experience pain, but... In a little while, your sorrow will turn to joy. And in a few moments, you're going to be scattered. But soon after that, you're going to know my power. Jesus is reminding his disciples and through them, he's reminding us that, that there's a limit to our pain. That our God is sovereign. That there's not one moment that comes into our lives that God has not sovereignly ordained for his purposes. And while... The truth of God's sovereignty doesn't diminish the reality of those painful moments. It does soften the power of those painful moments. It does remind us that on Friday, when they placed Jesus' body in the grave, they experienced deep grief. But in a little while, on Sunday, they experienced immense joy. If you're spending the holidays this year without someone that you love, your grief at times may seem overwhelming. It may feel like a pit in the deepest recesses of your soul, but I want to tell you from the authority of God's Word that your pain has a limit. Jesus has placed a limit on your pain, and that when you look to Him, God comes to us in our pain to bring us 
into moments of deeper intimacy and deeper dependency on Him. There's a limit to your pain. But secondly, there's also a lesson in your pain. There's a lesson in your pain. In verses 21 through 24, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, you will, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will be able to take away your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's a lesson that Jesus is teaching in this moment because there's a lesson in our pain. I once heard Pastor Rick Warren say, God never wastes a hurt. And that stuck with me. And that truth was made even more powerful a few years later when Rick and Kay Warren themselves endured the, the tragic death of their own son. And because Rick and Kay Warren had been grounded on the truth of God's Word for many years, God used that very painful moment in their life as a vehicle to increase the influence of their ministry and to be a comfort to others who have gone through similar circumstances. It's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by Christ. God never wastes a hurt. Now oftentimes when we are going through painful moments, we don't want to hear lessons and spiritual platitudes. And just as a word of caution to those of us who are well-meaning Christians, when people are hurting, when people are grieving, when people are depressed, when people are in despair, what they don't need in that moment is a Sunday school lesson. Sometimes the best thing you can do for someone who is in grief or despair or depression is to cook them a meal or to mow their grass, or to clean their house, or just put an arm around them and listen to their pain. We don't always need a sermon or a Sunday school lesson in our pain, but what we do need is a word from God. What we need to know is that when we surrender ourselves to God's plans and purposes, He can not only comfort us in our pain, but He will eventually use it for His glory. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter. One, when he says that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. In the midst of this time with his disciples, Jesus teaches them a critical spiritual truth using a familiar analogy of childbirth. And he says that while a woman feels tremendous pain during the process of labor, that pain is often shortly eclipsed by the joy of holding that newborn life in your arms. It's a reminder that God is always doing something better and more lasting in the pain. Because it's often in the midst of our pain and our disappointments and our disillusionments that our response to that pain reveals what's really our 
our guiding theology of our life. It's how we respond to painful moments. It's not, it's not what happens to us that, that shows the truth of our theology. It's how we respond. C.S. Lewis said, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God, speaks to, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pains. And Lewis said that, God's, that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There's a lesson in your pain. Whatever pain you're going through, God has a lesson that He's trying to teach you. Sometimes that lesson that He teaches us in our pain is that we are not made for this world alone. Sometimes God uses painful moments to remind us that we live in a broken, fallen world and that we're not made for this world alone. He reminds us that our existence in this world is temporary and that He has created us for an eternity in a world where things are different. This is why we find comfort in, John, in Revelation chapter 21 when the Apostle John looks and says that he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Sometimes the lesson is... You're not made for this world. Sometimes the lesson that he teaches us in our pain is that we're to treasure the Lord more than the people and the things that we have the tendency to hold on to here. Sometimes God takes away jobs. Sometimes God causes pain in our life because we're finding too much treasure and comfort in those people or those things than we do in Him. And so sometimes He... He teaches us that we're to treasure Him more than we're to treasure the things of this world. Sometimes the lesson that God teaches us is that His grace is sufficient and that we're to trust in His grace alone. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he had to endure this painful thorn in the flesh. And he says, I pleaded and I pleaded and I pleaded with God to take it away. And God just kept saying, my grace is sufficient, my grace is sufficient, my grace is sufficient. There's always a lesson in the pain. Christmas is a gracious reminder that we are not alone in this world. Christmas is the reminder that God has come, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is not God above us. He is not God beyond us. He is not God who cannot relate to us. He is God with us. And so let me tell you this morning that there's a limit to your pain and there's a lesson in your pain and the reason why there's a limit and a lesson in your pain is because there is a Lord over your pain. There is a Lord over your pain. Jesus said in verse 16, In a little while He would be gone, but after that brief time that He was returning, He was coming back. He is reminding the disciples of His eventual return, and He is declaring for them His eternal presence with them. That he was saying, I'm going to leave you, but I'm coming back. I'm always going to be with you because he is preparing them to endure the horrors of witnessing him to be crucified on Calvary. He's preparing them for the, for the difficulties they are about to endure. But 
he also reminds them that while they're going to see that, they are also going to soon know the power of his return. A little while and you will not see me, and then again a little while you will see me. One of the things that I've learned and that I've observed as a pastor is that oftentimes we allow the pain of our lives to retain more control over us than we should because we don't look to the Lord in our pain. We don't allow the pain to be a prism through which we look to see the Lord who is with us in the midst of the pain. The truth of the power and the presence of Jesus Christ reminds us that grief and depression and disillusionment do not have to have the final word. We started this year in 1 Peter chapter, going through 1 Peter. And as we went through 1 Peter, we were talking about being uh, you know, kingdom citizens in a, in, a, in a fallen world. And Peter reminds us throughout this world of our sufferings. And we talked about this as we began this world, not, I mean, began this year not knowing about the coronavirus and how it was going to impact our, our church and our faith family. And I made a statement very similar to this in January, and it still holds true today. It's in your notes. Our, our sufferings in this world are a signal to us that our ultimate hope is not of this world. The reason why God allows us to deal with suffering and pain and trouble in this world is because our sufferings are a signal to us that our ultimate hope is not in this world. The reason why we have hope for the holidays is because hope has come and hope is not a feeling, hope is a person. We have hope in our sorrow because we have a Lord who is the Lord over our sorrow. You see, you do not have to be defined by grief. You do not have to be defined by despair. You do not have to be defined by failure. The good news of the gospel is that death does not have the last word and sin does not have to reign over you and me. Your failures are not fatal and your sufferings are not final. We have a lot of dangerous, Christianized, self-help theology in the church today purported by profilators of unsound doctrine that sell their wares on Christian bookshelves and over the airwaves. They try to remind us that we can overcome our circumstances by changing our thinking, by imagining a better future, by speaking our world into existence. These men are snake oil salesmen who make healthy profits trying to give believers a sense of control over their lives and in doing so the problem is they take away the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. One of my ministry verses is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 where Paul says, when I came to you brothers I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We do not overcome grief and pain by the strength of our own power. Look again at verse 33 as we get ready to close. Verse 33, the Lord Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Is that not good news? In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We overcome our pain and our grief, not because we are overcomers, but because He is the overcomer. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, when he says that all things work together for the good for them who love God and are called according to His purpose, he also says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, not through ourselves. And so I would submit to you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. The reality of life is that while every Christmas movie that you watch has a happy ending, life doesn't always work that way. And yet, even in our unhappy moments, even when the movie doesn't quite turn out the way that we thought it would, we can still have hope for the holidays because the same God who sent the Lord Jesus in the fullness of time is the same God who will come to you in your darkest hour. The same Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us, is the same Jesus who will bring hope to your hurting heart and the same Jesus who brings with him a peace that passes all understanding. The reason why we have hope for the holidays is because Christmas is our annual reminder to us that God has intervened into our brokenness to bring us the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to finish up this morning? The glory of Christmas is simply this, that in Christ... God has provided the Savior that we need to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't just hope ourselves into a better existence. We can't just wish ourselves out of sin and darkness. We can't just change our reality by the power of positive thinking. We can't just do away with our sinful rebellion by making a determination to be a better person. The whole point of celebrating the baby in the manger is to look to the cross and to ask ourselves, why does this man, this child, have to eventually die? And the reason why he has to die is he has to die for all the sins that you and I have ever committed. And so this year, this Christmas, you can have hope because you have a Savior. And if you don't have a Savior, you can have a Savior and from there you can find hope. And maybe today the Lord Jesus is speaking to you about your need to be saved, to be forgiven, to trust in Him, because you have found that all of your hope in this world just doesn't seem to last. I would invite you today, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, to do so. And maybe today, if you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, to surrender your heart and life to Him, you can, you can come see me after church, and I'll be glad to sit down with you and talk with you and pray with you. Maybe you've got someone in your family Maybe you're a Christian, but you've got someone in your family who's lost. And they don't have hope. They don't have eternal, lasting hope. And maybe today you can pray for them. Maybe you can resolve to, to be an agent of gospel hope in their lives during this Christmas season, whatever it is. Trust the Lord Jesus today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the fact that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in our circumstances, no matter what 
grief and pain and disillusionment we may be experiencing. God, we thank you that there's always hope. Because hope is not a feeling. Hope is not something that is derivative of our circumstances. Hope is a person. So Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with the hope of Christ this year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.